Hello, Steve. Myros, how how are you spending this Juneteenth? Oh, it's a holiday, huh? Uh, I I don't know. <laughs> yeah, three day weekend. Come on, what are you doing? I well, I'm I'm between semesters, so it's a longer than a three day weekend. <laughs> so, so you're not you're not celebrating in any way. Do you want to unpack that a little bit? Uh, is this this is like the you? parade thing all over again? I I don't <laughs> I don't know. I mean, uh, I. I'm I'm taking a day of rest, you know, that's uh, <laughs> a day of rest. Proper. Is that what Juneteenth is about for you? Seems just a, just a white guy kicking back, right? I mean, we really shouldn't be recording <laughs> if you if you want to investigate it. I'm not the one who set this record date. You you two gentlemen conspired Listen, to uh you know to what sully I set the this holiday. record date as an indictment of you and your your lack of celebration. Are we supposed to give away the, the magic behind the curtain by letting people know when we record? I mean, <laughs> it's this, yeah, they know. this is insider stuff. I mean, to be fair, I took today yeah. off, but I had to because my mm. employer just does not acknowledge Juneteenth. They don't ah. care. Yeah. That's, oh, what that's about you, one. Steve? Did you take today off? I, I did. I did. Uh, I was actually, I was camping this weekend, uh, which I, I wouldn't recommend if anyone's thinking about it. Don't, don't do it. Just don't go camping. What are you, you, what are you Do doing? you do actual camping or glamping? How well equipped are you? It's, I want to never say that word again. I mean, that, that's one of those things. Like, I know, but this is Steve like gotta, we're talking about. I, I'm a soft boy. Let's yeah, I can honest, see Steve glamping it up. I, I didn't get a yurt off of Airbnb, if that's what you're asking about. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm in the woods, but it's like a, it's a state park. It's not like I didn't have to fucking hike in or anything. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I just, I, the thing I struggle with, I can understand the camping when there is a distinct objective. Like, okay, I want to go kayaking on this river. Ergo, I must sleep on the ground. But the idea of like willfully sleeping on the ground and you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fucking cook food over a, an open fire and I'm going to, I am going to have to, tell raccoons to fuck off when they try and get my leftovers and all of that, that, that I don't understand. It, it, it's difficult for me, but you know, and then I just feel perpetually dirty. You gotta like, you gotta shit in a horrible bathroom. You just, you, you feel grimy. I'm, I'm covered in like residual bug spray and sunscreen. And it, it's, well, it's you gotta take a here. dip in the lake. I, I assume there's a lake, right? Or is uh, there no lake? Yeah. A Lake Michigan. Come on. You got the, the oh, okay. you're on, you're on the right? big lake. I'm on the big lake. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, yeah. You take a little dip, but it's it's kind of cold. Uh, well, yeah, know, as lakes usually are. Yeah. I think I think we yeah. categorize that as refreshing. Mm. Yeah, you could, you could. I don't know. You just it, it's one of those things. I need an objective for my camping. That's all. If if I'm going to just willfully toss away a hundred years of human ingenuity and progress to sleep in the dirt. I, I need a reason to do it, you know, kind of like deliverance. There, I, there's a good reason. I, I, I wonder right? what this objective, I, I need you to set me a better objective than uh, kayaking. Cause that's not, that's more of an activity than an objective. And also but something uh, that you could do sounds camping. That's true. A, a rafting or tubing, tubing down the river. We love a good river float. Yeah, no, no, I don't need to camp to do that. I, I can just. Did go. you have to yeah. hire some locals to drive the car down to, to where you were? <laughs> Is this? Yeah. 
No, this didn't happen. <laughs> I'm just thinking. I feel Unfortunately, like no. My definition, I think, for for camping and and how real your camping is is how many USB powered devices remained powered while you were out there. Mm, yeah, yeah. See, because uh, my phone actually stayed alive because I didn't have any reception the entire time. It was oh, wonderful. Yeah. There you go. That's that's handy enough. I think yeah, you got to go good. off if you're going to camp. You got to shut that shit off. Yeah. Well, and and that's the other thing because you're you're throwing away. Like I said, 100 years of human ingenuity. Uh, but the things that you still hold on to, it's like arbitrary. You know, you're like, oh, I got to I got to sleep on the ground. However, I got a fucking Yeti cooler, in, you know, or whatever, a, a, a Bluetooth speaker, all this other shit. It's like, well, you got to go one way or the other. No, if someone is requesting that I camp, they are not permitted to bring a Bluetooth speaker. That's the, that's the whole point <laughs> is, is you want like a silence, some silence. We're getting away yeah. from the noise. That's that's the objective to my mind. I mean, unless you just want to get like drunk in the woods and, and listen well, yeah, to people were like, oh, want to get away from the noise. People want to get away yeah. from the noise, and then they realize how goddamn noisy nature is when you're out in the middle of nowhere, like four oh, a.m., yeah. and you realize that deer actually make an enormous amount of noise uh, if left to their yeah. own devices, and it's kind of creepy. Also, I just want to put this out there: fuck every bird, every single bird. <laughs> just Go fuck you put, you're part of the anti-bird, our growing movement of people are just like, we just don't like birds. I'm birds kind of suck. Over them. Yeah. Yeah. Shut the fuck up, bird. They're very you know, loud. They're loud and they just shit it. from the sky. And I mean, like, what's, I mean, chicken, you can eat it, but like everything else is, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's can a lot. Can you imagine the, the blowback that I would get, Jack, if I like perched on, on your roof and when you walked out your front door, I took a fat, wet shit on your head. I probably wouldn't get away with that without, you know, a yeah. little bit of a scuffle between you and me. And, and to think a bird can just do it and we just kind of shrug our, our and say, hey, that's nature. That's, We've that's just it. given up and what declared happens? that it's lucky. That's the new thing. Yeah. It's, oh, it's lucky. Yeah. A bird pooped on you. Good luck. And it's like, this, no one's falling for this. We just can't stop no. them. They're out of control. Or if you just, uh, you know, decided to make a home on, on Jack's like window ledge and around about 4 a.m. <laughs> every day <laughs> decided it was time to shout into his window. That's it. Just yeah, fucking, no, I, yeah, see, because I was thinking, yeah, I was thinking of like inescapable. Like, imagine if Optimism Vaccine Podcast was issued to every iPhone owner, like U2 album, U2's album a couple of years back, you know, if that would be like, and you could, and you had to listen to it. Like, would people still we, like we would us, still do you think? around 100 listens per episode. <laughs> do you think, because this is a Patreon episode, do you think this is what they're paying for? They're enjoying the camping talk? The glamping talk? All the, <laughs> the like, glamping are we, talk? Are we doing... I can't believe you accused me of glamping. I, 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 was, I was, it was a curious... I just, I don't know. I don't know what Steve does out in the wilds. <laughs> I wouldn't follow you because I don't like camping Steve either. He doesn't go out into the wilds. And well, luckily, I mean, he was, can you believe he was the man who Michigan. podcasts from his basement is uh, is not interested in sleeping in the dirt? I feel <laughs> like if you're born in Michigan, you, you, you're just, you can't accept the concept of, of such things. I don't know. There's always yeah. like this pull of things that you did as a child. Like, oh, you know what would be relaxing? Going fishing. And then if you actually went fishing, you'd be like, why do I have to touch like fucking earthworms and jam yeah. hooks into things and everything's like covered in a, a layer of slime? God forbid I actually mm -hmm. catch a fish and have to deal with that. Yeah, and I, yeah, I, I like I like the proposal of fishing, but yeah, I wouldn't do any. I would get a fishing rod and a fishing line 
and I like probably not a hook. That seems like too much bait. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. That's gross. I would just stick it in the water. I'd sit there and I just I that part sounds pretty good. Crack a beer. It's still not that good though, Jack. You, you forget about how many fucking insects live in nature, especially out on yeah, like, I mean, lakes, where all of a sudden like biting flies are just like swarming you the entire. Oh, I'm day. familiar <laughs> with this. I mean, I'm just saying if you had to, I think fishing without all the fish stuff could be pretty nice. You know, you can stop at a supermarket on the way home. But, um, yeah, you, that part <laughs> sounds pretty good. But, yeah, I mean, I, I take it. I'm not an outdoors person. I don't enjoy it out there because you're right. There's the insects, there's sun, just like sun exposure. I never feel that mm-hmm. good. I think that's just part of being Irish. I've, I've adjusted the heat in the U.S., but, like, frankly, if I spend all day out under the sun, I'm just going to feel sick for a day afterwards, just with no particular... You know, nothing, nothing particular. Just like, just feel unwell for a day. Just like, like a drank or something. It's, it's yeah. just. It's I think that was the end of of my outdoor pursuits as well. It was like a, it was even like a high school graduation thing, which was, it really was a a, a sort of passage, a rite of passage. Is that it was the last time I ever went to river tubing, and I definitely got fucking sunstroke. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well. Well, really, didn't you get? You were like beat red and and like on the verge of dying. And I believe uh, some of our mutual friends like shoved you in a cabin to get you out of the sun. At which point they said you like covered yourselves in blankets because you were shivering. Yeah, that doesn't make any right. sense, but it's oh, ninety no, degrees out. Yeah, no, that doesn't make any sense because you're supposed to go to the hospital when that happens. That's that's <laughs> here in America, Jack. We don't go to hospitals unless death is completely yeah. imminent. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. If if you're like under twenty five in America, yeah, yeah. And, you know, bad things are happening. You fucking ride it out. And yeah, maybe if just, someone takes you to the hospital while well, you ended up there. But otherwise. We, yeah, then you just get angry. What do I get this fucking bill? <laughs> Who took me to the fucking hospital? <laughs> oh, I'd be pissed. Someone called a fucking ambulance. I would be livid. You kidding me? Let me die. I don't want to pay $2,000. Are you fucking kidding just me? Give me some ice. Jesus. Give me some ice. For God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> so, the cure all. That happened to us once. We called a call. Someone called at work called an ambulance. Uh. And and we didn't want one. It was uh, migraine ultimately, uh, but it was really good because we got insider information that in Louisville you don't have to pay the ambulance. Uh, they can't actually oh. they can't actually turn you over to collections, and they cannot do anything to you if you don't pay it. Uh, particularly because yeah. particularly because they didn't actually render any services. They didn't even like take blood pressure. They didn't do they. So they, we got we like. My my wife's dad actually worked for EMS, so he had all the insider track on this. So he's like, okay, so they didn't do anything, and they should have. Uh, so basically, <laughs> so so they're not going to follow up on this because they know that would get them in trouble. And second, they can't uh. do anything. So we just we didn't we didn't pay, and they never they asked once for money, and we were like, no, and that was it. It was over. It was done. So <laughs> that's great. Yeah, little well, tip there tip. <laughs> for for anyone in Louisville. You if you ever are in an ambulance, maybe you don't have to give them any money. Check you yeah. ask around. <laughs> uh, it, it is at this point that I think I should assure our our patron that we are in fact uh, actually giving you two episodes uh, for your donation. So uh, <laughs> don't worry about the fact that we we've a spent half the episode gabbing about nonsense and B, have attached a uh, horrible cancerous tumor to the film you wish to discuss. <laughs> that's, that's all Myros. 
thank you, Myris, for your ingenious addition to this this lovely, pure episode we were going to record. Also, I don't think, Steve, have you even introduced me yet? I don't think so. (laughs) No, No, I was about to. You you just sort of introduced yourself there. I was was really just, like, building up to this great introduction for you, and you really fucking ruined it. But uh, Jackie's there. Oh, hello. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're a three-man team now. I mean, I think, well, Steve's (laughs) fucking off to Italy for a while. La-di-da. So, I'm, just, I'm just trying to fucking eat, pray, love. Come on, man. Yeah, so we're probably going to have to drag live. Jake back in, because, you know, being a father doesn't really count. He's got to be a father with a podcast, because that's it's the 21st <laughs> century. It's what we make people do now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You can, you can never get out. It's like the fucking mob, you know? You just, you, oh, I, I have a son. I'm not going to be able to be on the podcast as much. It's like the mob, except in. instead of, like, the omerta code of silence for podcasts, it's the exact opposite. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to Don't commit to a life up. of emitting noises and no one can stop you. <laughs> it's good. It's good. Yeah, it's like uh, in Gone with the Pope when Duke Mitchell comes back and he's got to kill a bunch of people, you know? It's, it's, uh, it's just something you got to do every once in a while. Uh Anyways, yeah, believe it or not, we're not talking about uh, camping, my fear of the outdoors, my dislike of bugs, um, how Myros was basically had a sunstroke and was not taken to the hospital, which explains uh, maybe his current level of brain functionality. That could be. Uh, could have really done some damage. <laughs> could have done some damage. Uh, yeah, kids, if you, if you don't go to the hospital when you need to, you might end up as a podcaster. But uh, today, actually, we we do we had a we have a patron episode. Someone was kind enough to donate twenty five dollars, which means they get to pick an episode for us to do. And wouldn't you know, uh, they actually had two really great ideas for episodes. So much so that we're like, you know, fuck it, let's just do both. And uh, we also took a, a little bit of a liberty, uh, which you will <laughs> understand later. Adam. Because one of the one of the suggestions. For the the podcast episode, it was it's just a single movie. It's a great movie, but it was just one movie. And we tag. I mean, you know, sometimes we'll do two, sometimes we'll do three, sometimes four. But just doing one, it can be it can be a little bit of a lift, you know. Yeah, it's, you it's have to do more research than we're willing to to, to squeeze a mm-hmm. you know ninety yeah. minutes out of a single movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, anyways, before we get to as Spyro said, the horrific cancerous tumor that we attached to this wonderful film. What is the wonderful film? We're talking about uh, Hell's a Poppin' from 1941, which I was not previously familiar with. I obviously had not previously seen and was completely fucking blown away by. Now, some of you may be saying right now, wait a second, Steve, didn't the important cinema club, didn't they just do a screening of this in Toronto, and aren't they probably just lining up another episode that, that will probably coincide with this one? Yes, but we didn't know that until like two days ago when we were all fully committed to doing this. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, friends friends of the show. It's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. I feel like you uh, shouldn't even have brought this up. for 15 minutes? No, <laughs> they, I don't think they did. They didn't. You got that for free. Uh, did they suggest that all birds should be murdered? Absolutely not. So think about the extra value that we bring to your life right now as you listen to this. Um, anyways, Hell's a Poppin', 1941. What a fucking movie. Um, it, Hell's a Poppin' was originally a, like a stage show play in, in the 1930s. And then they decided to uh, make a movie because it was a big hit. But they didn't just adapt it. <laughs> as many stage shows were adapted at the time. Uh, Instead, they took a completely different route, which is they made a movie 
about adapting the stage show into a movie, but then they they changed it and and they break the fourth wall a lot, and also the entire thing is just a series of nonstop uh, screwball and physical comedy gags, and it's uh, it's fucking brilliant, basically. Yeah, this is um, is it's interesting, yeah, because I mean it starts as obviously you say a uh, a uh, kind of like Broadway musical comedy extravaganza and it was known for being rowdy and riotous and you had people you know plants in the audience i think it's still like and and just performers would come off stage and wander through the audience shouting things and it's like it was this like immersive comedy musical experience and made something of a reputation of itself part partly by how chaotic it was and so what i think really makes hell's a popping the film work beyond just being a really funny comedy is the fact that they really bring in the medium of cinema with it it's not just recreating stage gags on screen and filming them it is incorporating a, like an enormous amount of like the the fundamental architecture of cinema within it so you have a lot of optical effects i mean breaking the fourth wall there's a, a huge chunk of this is shouting at the projectionist and apparently in the original incarnation of this film they were just going to be literally shouting like at the projectionist in the movie theater, which is like they turn to the screen and complain and then things would go go wrong. And apparently uh, Universal's uh, producers were like, no, that's that's too weird. We can't do that. I don't know. Maybe projectionists were already unionized back then for all I know. Maybe they wouldn't <laughs> like the, the, the slander. So they got Shemp Howard, uh, Mr. Mr. Three Stooges, the Shemp into like in the movie to play a projectionist so there was some interplay within the film uh which maybe tidies it up i don't know you know we're still we're not we're 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 only like 30 40 years out i guess 40 years out from everybody running in terror from the train you know like who who's ready are they is our mainstream audiences ready for people to shout at the projectionist in the movie who knows maybe it would have caused consternation so you know they, they toned it down a little bit but like what's really great in the movie essentially is that it is a lot of the jokes in it are fundamentally cinematic jokes. They they could not be achieved in the stage, and it's like they, they basically took the opportunity of the adaptation to expand the repertoire of the humor rather than just recreate it, which is very admirable and means the film really kind of like... It's from 1941. It still feels really quite fresh, like, compared to... God, compared to the other movie we're talking about, uh, <laughs> which, is, which is much, much fresher nominally um yeah it's, it's still a great movie it just holds up it's like a live action cartoon effectively just like zaniness and even if the music and the the style the fashion of the the players you know clearly puts it to the 1940s everything else in it, it kind of like it's just zany crazy stuff that just kind of is timeless so yeah great movie i should have watched this years ago it's one it's one of those ones that people talk about in kind of reverent tones but it's it's never I feel like it's never, like, for the people who know the film, they love it, but it kind of doesn't feel like it's gotten the major reappraisal or, or kind of lift, push kind of into the mainstream that some other films from the era have, you know, which is really yeah. funny considering this movie has a, a literal Citizen Kane joke in it and came out the <laughs> same year. Like, literally, they have Rosebud appears in one scene. And it's just like, that's the kind of thing that, like, 
Animaniacs was doing in the 90s, you know, we're like 50 years apart. Mm-hmm. This strange kind of continuum of of kind of being in conversation with what's around it, but also being its own thing, which this pulls off really, really well. Like I say, it still feels fresh in a way that some other things maybe don't, and we'll get to that. Yeah, and, and I think culturally too, it's it's bizarre to me that it isn't bigger or, or more revered than it is, or because or, I feel like it's kind of underseen. And it's wild because my, my first thought is, okay, well, maybe at the time it ate shit and then it, it just never got around to the full reappraisal that it should have gotten. But no, not only does it feel fresh now, but when it was released, it was a massive hit. Like it made more money than whatever the latest Abbott and Costello movie was at the time. <laughs> so it, was, it, it wasn't a dud at all. and yet. Here we are, but it, it really is like it's kind of you're kind of in awe of of the density of the jokes that are going on, and they're coming at you rapid fire every two seconds. But uh, just just the layers of, of the story here, where you've got these guys, and there's a stage show, and they're filming it, and then they stop filming it, and they decide that they need to make it, you know, more of a movie. We need a love story. We need this and that. So they bring in these other writers. And then there's even moments where they're making jokes about the people that they're going to cast as, as additions to the movie. And, you know, they, they're holding up their headshots and the headshots kind of stop and turn and then kind of make a quip back at them. And it's all of this stuff where, like you said, Jack, it's all so cinematic that it really is just an expansion of what made people love the, the stage show in the first place. And the other thing about this, too, is there are parts of it that feel a, a little like risque, like they're really kind of pushing the boundaries of acceptable taste at the time. And it would almost make you think, given the subject matter and everything that goes on in the movie, that it, it was like a pre-code movie, but it's not. It's actually like, <laughs> I mean, this is probably four or five years uh, post-code. So well, it's no, like, there's a Hayes Code joke in the movie. Yeah, yeah they literally have a yeah. joke about calling up the Hayes office. But yeah, I mean, this, this right? movie yeah. this movie literally opens with a musical number in hell, which is, um, <laughs> yes, something. Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's uh, I can imagine many an outraged folk in Ohio, which seemed to be the, the locus point in the United States for people who just didn't like movies and having fun. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, it, it's... <laughs> Why not? Just start no, off with and, that. And I actually, I looked into it too, because I was like, oh, well, maybe it was because of the Hayes Code, it might have gotten like buried or uh, whatever. And it turns out that, no, that's not the case. The only thing that they did to avoid issues with certain theaters playing the film was uh, for the ro- more racist areas of the country, during all of the scenes with, with black people, they basically like blocked all the black people together every instance that they could. So if you ran like a racist white movie theater in Alabama, you could easily trim out black people if you needed to, uh, which is profoundly fucked up. But <laughs> apparently, uh, you know, Ace Code wasn't an issue. I mean, it's, so. it's kind of like how Disney Marvel now is kind of like running, you know, their, their incredible gay representation LGBTQI plus <laughs> representation in single lines of dialogue that can easily be snipped out for the Middle Eastern market. And then for some reason, they oh, still yeah. blame China for being racist too, which is really funny with the, the new Little Mermaid movie. They're like, yeah, no, China just won't watch movies with black people. It's not our fault. This movie's underperforming. It's like, it's weird because Black, black Panther did really well there. It's almost like yeah. maybe your new movie sucks. 
But anyhow, neither here nor there. This we're, we're talking about a, a good old time when Disney were actually a minor player in uh, in Hollywood. Hard as that is to believe now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> uh, the the other thing that I really love about Hells of Poppin' is, <clears throat> you know, there, there's a lot of stuff that can still wow me in in a cinema, but when I see a film this old and I realize that, like, okay, basically everything they're doing is is just like stunt work, practical effects, things like that. Like you, you can't hide as much or you have to hide things in a very different way. Uh, there is a scene in Hells of Poppin that I have not been able to get out of my head since I watched it. And it's the, uh, the archery scene, oh. Oh, <laughs> which yeah. is, and I swear, like I watched it and I actually rewound it because I'm like, I, I don't even know how the fuck they're doing this, but Basically, they're they're going through this whole dialogue comedy routine thing in front of these archery targets, and there's a guy who is kind of shooting at them, and and you're watching as the arrows just sort of stick into the target all around them, like within inches of them, uh, or you know they'll be talking to one another, they'll be very close, and an arrow will go between them, and then a guy will move his arm, and the and the arrow will go exactly where the arm just was, all this stuff, and then at the end, the kind of logical conclusion of this whole gag is the guy shooting the arrows has this like homemade machine that shoots 50 arrows at once so again if this is starting to sound like a bugs bunny cartoon but live action it's exactly what it is and the arrows just shoot out and kind of make like an outline around the woman who's standing in front of the target and it's absolutely fucking nuts to watch <laughs> uh, yeah it's one I, of those I, I, <laughs> It's one of the things that I know it's because um, it, it's how they used to do with like a lot of the arrows. And all I know is it's guided by wire. You can actually and you can see wire, I think, and, and, and you know, a couple of shots. It's it's one of those old Hollywood tricks, but I still have no idea of the actual mechanics of it, that they run yeah. the arrows along a uh, like piece of fishing line, which doesn't really show up on on the screen. But it's a dialogue sequence. So I don't know how they do it that fast. I don't know how they zip them through because like they really look like they're just flattening like smacking straight in there yeah um, it's yeah. it's and, impressive scary and I, I can say too that if you're ever watching an old movie and you're like wow how'd they do that the answer is like abhorrent labor conditions and a, a lack <laughs> of regard for anyone's safety uh but beyond that the mechanics of it are just mind-blowing you know it's, it's kind of like when you watch a buster keaton movie and a house falls on top of him and he just, you know, he happens to be in the exact spot where the window is so he doesn't get crushed to death. And you go, wow, how did that happen? It's like, well, a fucking house fell on him. That's how it happens. <laughs> you know, like, well, you know the, what you did. It, you see, it goes on like, because I mean, I think this was probably safer because like by the time we got to like the 90s in Hong Kong, I mean, famously, Choi Hawk paid extra to stuntmen to get actually shot with arrows. That was the thing they did once upon a time in China. <laughs> it was like you got a bonus, but you would get shot with an actual arrow and they had like you got padded up and they'd worked it out, you know, with master archers and like and, and the ones that weren't hitting anyone, they just had archers off screen who would like firing real arrows, but not, you know, with good enough aim to not hit anyone. And they worked 25-hour days, pretty much. So, you know, everyone's probably bleary and tired. 
it's fine. No one died. That's the magic of cinema. You know, I guess yeah. a Throne yeah. of Blood also used real arrows, and that sequence is absolutely terrifying. I, I'm hoping this was safer, but I, I genuinely don't know exactly how they did it. But it's, it's. I mean, one of the great things about comedy is that it can take this scene that has this tremendous, almost kind of like danger to it. This feeling of like there's, there's an actual tension to it, even, even as the man mm. pulls out his goofy multi-arrow firing machine. But you know, it's still being played. It's like just absolute throwaway silliness. Um. It, it very, it kind of, kind of a great point of how you know comedy exists on this like kind of precipice of things you know kind of goes over it's like is are they you know what what steps were these people taking to get this laugh this seems insane but um right. you know it, it it works gets the the audience enjoyed and you're talking about of course of a li- like a live action cartoon as as normally when people talk about hell to pop and it's hard to avoid of course the man firing those arrows is uh hugh herbert to Really fun comedian. I need to watch more of his stuff. I think he, he showed up in... We did a Black Cat podcast a while back, and he was mm-hmm. in one of the later adaptations of that. Late, later within, I think, the podcast, like the 1930s. Actually, I guess, sorry, maybe probably one of the earlier ones we talked about. There's so many of the adaptations. But um, a, a noted comedy act at the time. And, uh, of course, if you watch him, you will have no doubt. It's like, oh, this is where Daffy Duck's woohoo thing came from. Because he that's his whole act. It's basically being a little bit odd and, and doing little, like, woohoo noises throughout. Uh, and that's, you know, Daffy Duck took that from us. So, like, literally, you're watching the guy who was inspiration for the cartoons you grew up watching in the movie. So it's, it's uh, a, an interesting synergy of, of elements in here. Um, you know, and hey, it, it kind of works. It's kind of cool. It kind of, it's, it's, I think maybe one of the reasons why it feels very fresh is that even from the 1940s, I don't know, cartoons hold their, their vintage very well. I mean, we all grew up watching Looney Tunes and we knew as kids they were old and they were, and they're even older now, but they still, I feel like, aside from some questionable elements within them, which no one cared about when they showed them to us as kids, uh, you know, they're, they're pretty much, they, they're still absolutely current. You could show them to anyone because, you know, it's it's timeless to hit someone over the head with a hammer and have a giant bump appear in their head. That's forever great, oh, loves you know? That. So, yeah. Well, and a- another great thing about this movie is it, it gets to the essence of really good slapstick comedy like this, which is it's it's not necessarily what's on the page and what what you're saying it's about kind of the the rhythm of it and the physicality and how you're selling it and that's where hells of poppin shines just wonderfully um it's it's the little movements and the little flourishes that people do that are just throwaway moments that may or may not even be in the script like on paper but they know how to sell it, you know? Uh, even in the beginning, there's this great scene where <laughs> when we're in hell and the devils are all singing and uh, they're, they're stuffing people into, into barrels. And there's a part where a guy just gets stuffed into a barrel and, and just like the little facial expression he makes as he's stuffed into a hell barrel had to be fucking cracking up. And imagine that, but at absolute light speed for 90 straight minutes. And that's what you're getting in this movie. Um, wow. I've, I've heard people refer to it too as uh, like Monty Python, but played at like two times speed on, on your browser. And 
definitely get that as well. So I'm surprised people found it so manic at, at, at some points. Like I, I, the opening surely is, but I think it settles into a groove that's kind of interesting. Um, in that it, it basically the bulk of the film is like sort of replicating like a, a Hepburn, like Cary Grant. I think Philadelphia's story is obviously a major touchstone for what they're directly kind of playing within this film. Um, and I, I think the magic of it is uh, it's something that almost no slapstick parodies pull off, even the best of them, uh, is that this kind of manages to work as both send up and example of, of the genre in which it's playing. Like mm-hmm. it's a, it's a perfectly serviceable, you know, sort of musical spectacular, uh, you know, rom-com, frankly, like there's nothing about this movie that is like, unsuccessful structurally even if it weren't farcical <laughs> and that's kind mm-hmm. of a, a magic trick in and of itself yeah no there's this really uh, i think it is something that really works in the film's favor is that i mean there's multiple musical numbers throughout uh song and dance numbers and they are they are all properly staged and executed in and of themselves they're they're not like uh you know they're they're not it's a comedy but they're still considered properly you know as like these are quality set pieces that we want to put in and but they still punctuate them with jokes and they have like there's this one yeah. really lovely song number between these two the, the the main couple who are kind of like not supposed to get together because he's poor struggling wants to he's somehow poor and struggling but you know is trying to stage uh you know a broadway thing is that that hall that specific kind of hollywood poor where it's like you how you're already in the industry and just on the up and up but you're you're poor and she's like obscenely wealthy but anyhow you know and they're we know they're going to get together but there's other people along the way and everything but they have this really lovely just kind of like duet song performance and they're painting a little house and and you know kind of an idyllic scene on a piece of glass the camera's looking at through really lovely kind of like sequence and then in the middle of it they just have like call outs in the middle of it for stinky miller to report because his mom needs him to come in and it's just like it's it's like breaks the musical number because it's this ridiculous comedy and it's fourth wall thing it's basically the proposition is there's a boy named stinky miller in the cinema you were watching this in and his mom needs him to get home immediately um, but the song continues and is still taken seriously in the middle of this. It's this very unusual balancing act of, you know, kind of like the songs are real. The comedy is also real. They kind of they intersperse with each other. And that's your your recipe for something very new and unique. And it, it kind of reminds me, obviously, you know, for people of our age, you know, Airplane and Naked Gun are very much kind of the touchstone for this kind of comedy of this very kind of you know, mm-hmm. uh, what we generally known as the spoof, the idea where the, the very nuts and bolts of the making of the genre and of the film are completely open to being brought on stage and commented on. Um, and, it, you know, it kind of reminds me particularly of Airplane, how, you know, Airplane famously was, you know, the, the I can't remember which one was like Jim Abrams or whatever, like he, he recorded, uh, he left his video player recording late at night and got some airport disaster movie and it was just, they just watched it over and over and it was so goofy that like half of Airplane is unaltered footage of that movie. Like they just, they didn't even change the dialogue. They just reshot it, but they had Leslie Nielsen be a straight man who's funny 
restaging the dialogue and like reframing it but it's this idea that there's there's this serious underlying there's like this this attention to detail of the craft of what you were doing that comedy requires this kind of like a base a solid mm-hmm. base this may come into play when we talk about our <laughs> second say, are you film. sure it requires <laughs> yeah, it jack i'm yeah. not sure yeah <laughs> so you know it requires it if i'm going to have a good time <laughs> let's put it that way um you know this idea that like it's you know comedy is serious comedy is yeah. you know it requires thought it isn't just funny like all those people you know who are just funny it actually they're working it's it's something that takes some time the ones who aren't are never funny for long and, and usually get mm. real buttered about it when that becomes evident they were just lucky yeah. you can get lucky once or twice but you know if you actually want to have a career in the field you really have to think about what you're doing and this film does that it's it's such a series of clever kind of like manipulations of film language to kind of bring bring the whole thing together to create that riotous kind of like broadway live performance like vaudeville live act but kind of the same show every day up on the screen it's it's really kind of a fascinating prospect and i i suppose it didn't become particularly common in that sense yeah i mean it was very common hollywood comedies often loved to do you know the behind the scenes setting you know like it was like we're we're staging a show you know like and and have a lot of scenes that are like you know behind the scenes of staging a show but it was always this clear delineation you were watching a film about this whereas this one actively calls out like we say they call to the projectionists they have call outs in the movie for like you know hey your car is double parked go and get it like you know calling out the audience like nonsense stuff um like Mm -hmm. this is it's almost a 4d movie like you could convert this almost you know throw in some splash some water on people in the front row you could probably get away with all kinds of stuff like it's in that mode of like cinema as this immersive absurdist vehicle um and it's it's kind of like i guess maybe the reason it didn't happen much after this is because i don't know what else you could do you know it kind of mm-hmm. covers so much ground here uh it does and and it, and it asks for a lot too because like you said it, it's not like there's there's no talent behind this like this the the musical numbers especially can kind of stand alone and and packaged in a different way could be seen as something very serious so how do you how do you take something that uh, i mean basically it's like a fred astaire ginger rogers movie from the era and then you know reconfigure it and manipulate it and make it self-aware and and fourth wall breaking and repurpose it as a comedy it it really is kind of like a singular thing and i i agree that maybe we didn't get a lot more of this because i i don't know how much more you can do with this and well yeah it's like there's again teasing our next thing <laughs> uh, there's there's a there's a lot of ways it can go there's, wrong there's directions you can go with comedies and that this one goes a little different direction but where it's like most of the cast is not participating in a comedy film there it's it's like 80 percent of the people involved in the thing are making almost a real a romantic comedy, one of these escapist like wealth fantasies of the forties, mm-hmm. uh, or you know, and and the musical numbers tie into that as well. They're not jokes. There's no jokes in the musical numbers. <laughs> Those they're you know authentic. You know they're they're actually skillfully done and they're earnest, but they're also surrounded by all this complete absurdity. And that mm-hmm. sort of meta element ties even further when you get into like. Jeff's the character Jeff the sort of lovelorn poor quote-unquote fellow is is putting on a production 
and he needs it to succeed in order to find himself worthy for the the romantic uh, relationship with this rich woman and blah 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 but that really what ends up happening is this is a vehicle for them to insert hell's a poppin into the movie hell's a poppin like this is where we get mm-hmm. into we're basically watching the broadway show now and it's fucking mm-hmm. fantastic <laughs> Yeah, the the finale is uh, really great because uh, through a series of misunderstandings, we have the finale is essentially the the staging of Jeff's show, and there's of course there's a producer in the audience who ne- he needs to impress. We'll cut him a check, so we know our stakes. You know the show has to go off without a hitch. But our two our two lead guys, um, whatever what what are their names, Chicken and uh, Chicken Ole or yeah, Ole, yeah. I don't know Ole Olson. Is that like I don't know if that's the real name. Surely not. But anyhow, they're the prop guys throughout this whole thing. So, the, the, of course, fundamentally, they're just like a cartoon character as prop guys. The idea is they always have everything to hand. They There's literally, at one point, they joke about literally, oh, we've got everything but the kitchen sink. And the next thing, the guy comes in the door with the kitchen sink. It's like, no, we've got that too. Like, we have nothing left unturned here. Um... And, you know, so he's staging the show and it has to go off without a hitch, but they think something else is going on. So they're like, no, we have to make the show a flop. So they break the show. And of course, wouldn't you know, a broken show is very entertaining. And there's, you know, kind of this this uh, strange kind of like alchemy of the idea of kind of the contract, the, the, the audience contract with the show of what is good or bad. And, you know, I think there's something kind of interesting in the way this film posits that we are not following any of the established rules of cinema of hiding the seams of hiding the production you know we're letting like we're letting you into that and kind of like drawing comedy from it in the same way that like played at the end the audience are laughing at a show when actually the show is breaking it's it's you know none of the stuff they're laughing at is supposed to be working but everyone's kind of the show must go on it's kind of like a valorization of performers you know like you know, never, never let him see you, you limping or whatever, you know, just all keep going, show must go on, that kind of thing. You know, it's kind of a valorization of that performance attitude, but it's also kind of a, an interesting kind of meta commentary on the, the idea of contracts between audience and film in a way that I think is kind of interesting in the time because the, by the 40s, certainly, I mean, really through the 30s to the 40s, Hollywood had really honed its craft in terms of kind of like sleek genre vehicles um you know with no seams showing everything was beautifully arranged to be easily marketed you know there was like the, really the the big variable within a lot of the films was honestly were the stars the stars were the people who would like required a little bit of tailoring and customization of the films but they they knew exactly what films to make you know you had your crime movies your musicals your comedies you know your dramas your melodramas you know, it was like they had all that part down. They really knew it. You know, it was kind of like what to do around the fringes. And then this movie just comes in and it's kind of like, ah, so, you know, whatever. <laughs> so we'll just do whatever. It's crazy. And it's a form that's like it, they weren't the first to do it. I mean, Buster Keaton famously has numerous films like Sherlock Jr. Very famously, you know, brings in a kind of as he gets trapped in films it brings in that kind of metatextual element you know and melius of course also had even probably the melius probably was maybe the first to popularize the idea of play you know kind of making writ, writ large kind of like film language in the film you know to explain his optical effects and so on and that kind of magical quality you could achieve um 
But yeah, it, it's just kind of like this really fresh, fun take in this kind of like way that they lay it out. It's it's um, something that could have gone very wrong. It could have been incredibly self-indulgent. It could have been, you know, just this absolute drag to look at it. But but it's kind of like I think everyone is up to be sent up. It's it's like like I say, the musical performances are real, but the performers are not so important. They can't still be in on a joke. In fact, they're they're performing the jokes along with the musical number only makes us appreciate their performance more, you know, but like, you feel like maybe if this had real big stars in it, you know, because a lot of them, they were porting over the, the original idea was that we're going to port over a lot of the talent from the hell's a poppin Broadway show. And I think, uh, cheek and Ole are, are the only actual people I think who made it over. Um, there might've been some other dance troops and things, but like none of the other, and all the actors are film actors. Um, and most of them are character actors. There aren't really big stars in this film to to a large degree. Certainly in my, re- you know, looking back on it now, I, a lot of these people are not, you know, people I, I would associate with like big film releases. You know, you've got, mm-hmm. you know, um, I'm trying to think like, uh, like Alicia Cook Jr., for example, like a great character guy. Like he's in everything and he's he's one of those great, like in a lot of like he's in the big sleep and the Maltese Falcon and stuff but like he's not like a star he's not going to be the top name on any anything you know um well, it does have shemp space. In it. it does have shemp that's true yeah, shemp. but, but not, a star but not the, not the other two so you know it's not the three stooges it's just shemp well so shemp's not kind even of, one of the three really he's like the fourth well yeah he's <laughs> Kind of, you know, the first alternate or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think it's, again, it kind of reminds me a little bit of, like, Airplane. The idea, like, Leslie Nielsen wasn't a star. George Kennedy was not, like, a, a straight, like, top-line guy. They were just very You're capable. telling me that George Kennedy is not a fucking movie star, Jack? Um, heresy. You know. Heresy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it gave them that freedom that they were, like, they're all good seasoned actors and people that might be recognized otherwise, but it, it gives them that freedom to kind of, like expand their repertoire in a way like i mean leslie nielsen in particular you know i mean he completely transformed his career based on the idea that he could just be the straight man in and the most absurd comedy ever you feel like i maybe didn't happen with anyone here but the idea was the same and that they were all performers singers dancers actors first and foremost and the comedy was something they could kind of inhabit and move around in you know kind of incorporate into their performance everything is taken very seriously it's not this slapdash attempt i suppose is what we'll we'll say you know it's it's just a pleasure to watch it it's just a really fun 85 minutes of of motion pictures yeah so obviously we paired this with uh the producers you know oh uh, yeah yeah (laughs) <laughs> oh, one one last thing about this movie also which I think is fine maybe social mores in the United States have changed a lot but this was released on December 25th 1941 which <laughs> makes Christmas me movie. which makes me think this is like like they were pretty much just like this is a Jewish movie like you, you don't release the movie on Christmas day in the US right the, the, like isn't that like that's the that's Jewish kind of holiday it's, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know why, yeah, I don't know the... Hey, man. I don't people know the don't, like, Do people go to Christmas... Like, people don't go to the movies on Christmas Day in the U.S., though, do they? Oh, they oh, do. Dude, I, I saw, do I saw they? Uncut Gems on Christmas Day. <laughs> they do, maybe, but maybe, I don't, maybe I don't have any concept of, like, the historical, uh, you know, uh, nature of that release date. Like, I know... Maybe I'm just mis- misremembering my American now. lore. As as, yeah. as a Classic blow in. Jack, he's just sitting on a podcast. Still and suddenly trying to, he's got a Jewish question. Still trying. 
I'm <laughs> sort of figure things out. Judaism. I'm just asking questions, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I can say, like, now contemporary America, it's, it's pretty normal to, to release a movie on Christmas Day. However, 1941, to your point, I, I don't know if that was uh, as, as much commonplace. So, uh, no, that's, that's, that's a fair point that, Jesus. Yeah, like, I, I don't I, know. It's even yeah. more surprising the movie succeeded. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm mixing it. Is it Thanksgiving? Is it the day after everyone? I feel there was like one holiday and it was like that was when like Jewish people came out to play because all the white people stayed at home. Uh, but maybe I mean, a Christmas day would be a good one. Yeah, I, that's what I, I was thinking, say. you know, uh, but maybe maybe I'm misremembering. But anyway, I just thought that was entertaining because frankly, you know, I mean, you got Sham Powered up front among other things. It's like, you know, oh, the goat, the, the, the commentary on, on, you know, Jewish Americans and comedy. It's kind of like uh, you can't really separate the two. They're kind of the same thing to a large degree. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know. But I mean, definitely the best Shemp movie ever released. It, it, that's the one thing we can all agree on. So. Yeah, I, I think if nothing else, uh, now, we should take away that Olsen and Johnson are kind of this lost uh, comedy duo from that era. Like, this is much more cinematically interesting than most of what you'll see from your Laurel and Hardys and your Three Stooges and your, yeah, all of that stuff, which, again, there's nothing wrong with that stuff. Most of it's a great deal of fun, quite excellent, but... I, it's it's surprising. Just don't forget about Olsen and Johnson, I guess, because this is uh, mm -hmm. it, it's quite remarkable, and I I wonder why they never had that same like lasting cachet. I just wonder is it like it was done and that's that's it? And, you know, looks like they had about a uh, five movie run or so, but I don't know yeah. if any of them recaptured what was happening with this. I'm definitely gonna go check them out exactly, after this, so. but yeah, I, I do wonder, you know. The, the kind of like meta textual elements probably you know they, there's some really impressive exp you know optical effects in this there's one where they like rub out the top half of one of them and the bottom half of the other and they're like running around half visible and pretending you know joining together to form a single human being and stuff that stuff is difficult to do and it's pulled off quite seamlessly in the film it's it's really impressive mm -hmm. it's kind of a reminder of how good this stuff was even then, you know, for like you basically, you know, just very carefully planned photography to allow for those kind of double exposures and for, you know, overlays. Um, it's yeah, I mean, it, it's really good, but I suppose maybe it's also a lot of work. I don't maybe they just preferred the stage too. I, you know, it's possible. You yeah. could certainly be a lot more. I'm sure the stage for a performer is a lot more lively and, and kind of like, you know, adrenaline filled you know movies not really so much you know it's to the point where tom cruise now has to launch himself off cliff faces just to feel alive anymore that's how that's how deadening movies can be yeah yeah well i'm sure a, a lot of people are, are they're wondering they're saying where are you gonna go with this are you guys gonna talk about monty python are you gonna talk about the producers are you gonna talk about you know airplane or Hot shot. Do like a waiting for Guffman. That'd be a good pairing, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I just, was coming the, up with the, the like, possibilities are endless. Yeah, I came up with They Came Together. Wouldn't that be a lovely, another romantic comedy kind of like spoof mm -hmm, movie, mm -hmm. more modern? Wouldn't that be a nice pairing? Adam says no. That would be nice. Adam said no. Adam, what what did we what did we end up landing on for this week? Well, you know, I I figured we saw how the 40s kind of would handle this, this sort of... Uh, 
spoof of a romantic comedy of the era, and I I thought we might as well see how the aughts would handle it. So so I brought ah. to the table uh, something called date movie. Ah, date movie. <laughs> yeah. So this is this is Friedberg and Seltzer. Yeah. yeah. And uh, a little Friedberg and Seltzer backgrounder for you because. Uh, Lord knows I don't know shit about Olson and Johnson, but boy, do I know a lot about Friedberg uh, and uh, Seltzer. Much more uh, Provident comedy duo. Yeah, <laughs> at least in our lives. <laughs> more right movies. Now. Oh God, the they, arbiter of excellence. Uh, well, they uh, they they were kind of they they cut their teeth doing like scary movie, and uh, they were writers on that. So so kind of cut from that Abrams and and. Uh, Oh, geez, I'm blanking now. Who are my Wisconsin boys again? Zucker. Uh, Abrams Canada. and Zucker, yeah. Zucker. Yeah, Abrams and Zucker. And, you know, almost protégés in a way because they were able to work for him and, and then just sort of like carried that torch. Uh, where did they carry the torch? Uh, directly to the bottom of the fucking ocean where it was snuffed <laughs> out and they drowned. I uh, do wonder but, if, if Zaz would ever talk to them after these movies. I feel I like no, no. No, no. Uh, but date movie is actually their uh their debut as both writer producer director and uh it led to a whole series like basically a decade where their movies were just constantly constantly in theaters and perhaps most surprisingly profitable profitable oh, yeah. 2006 date movie budget 20 million dollars worldwide gross 84 million dollars 2007 20 million movie (laughs) epic movie also 20 million dollar budget worldwide gross 86 million dollars meet the spartans 30 million dollar budget little extra for this one 84 million dollar gross uh disaster movie 20 million dollar budget 34 million dollar gross vampires suck (laughs) which this is this is a real shocker 20 million dollar budget $80 $80 million worldwide gross. I barely remember that. That was 2010. So again, this four-year run of all these profitable movies, uh, and then they really didn't colossally eat shit um, until about 2013. So despite being a massive worldwide success, uh, Vampire Suck, that is, uh, the follow-up, The Starving Games, uh, and then the follow-up, to that Best Night Ever, and then the follow-up to that super fast, uh, all tiny budgets, completely ate shit. Super so, fast, by the way, is their Fast and the Furious spoof. If any, I've, yes, I've not yes. seen it, and I never will unless Adam has any more bright ideas. So, yeah, and then... Yeah, we've been uh, teasing uh, a Freebird Seltzer uh, look for years, Jack. Just be thankful we're only covering one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, right. Best Night Ever is kind of a... Uh, I, I don't know. I, I guess there was a, a brief string of like kind of drunken, crazy mom movies. Uh, it was produced by Jason Blum, uh, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Good lord! Yeah, and I and it's got uh, it's got somebody fucking famous in it. I think maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Uh, no, maybe not. You know, what? Anyways, I mean, I did not realize the date movie cost twenty million dollars. But I suppose this this answers maybe part of my question, which is how why is Allison Hannigan doing this film? She doesn't yeah, need to do this. She has one massive cultural smash TV show behind her, for which she made lots of money with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She has the American mm-hmm. Pie franchise, which sure went down a hole, but like, I mean, it was huge and she was in it. So, you know, she she couldn't have 
needed the money that badly. And then after the back of this, she goes back into TV with, you know, How I Met Your Mother, and it's another... And, like, she's a hugely successful actress by any metric in terms of work and probably her paychecks. Hugely popular. How did they get her? Why is she doing it? I'm getting, okay, $20 million. Maybe maybe that's $20 enough. Million Not man. worth it. I yeah, can't imagine. Like, hey, good plan. You want to shoot for three weeks and make as much as an entire season of fucking Buffy uh, in that time period? <laughs> and the answer is absolutely. I'd like to buy a new house. Thank you, Mr. Seltzer. It's got to be it. <laughs> I, I don't know. I really don't know. And it's not like, I mean, Date Movie was the beginning of this, and it stands as their uh, most critically revered film uh, at a whopping 7% on Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> and an 11 on Metacritic. So uh, just, just truly beloved. Wow. Double digits. That's double digits. <laughs> I know. Bad. I know. Um, this, is, this is something special because if Hells of Poppin is just a wonderful example of just great physical comedy and smart writing and just finding really cinematic ways to, to elevate uh, a, a different kind of form. And, and just, it does all of these things, right. It does all these things so well, it's timeless in it, in how hilarious it is. Date movie is actually the inverse of all those things, but it still has the DNA. So it's almost like you have this perfect specimen in Hell's a Poppin' and then you, you inbreed for six decades and then the result is date movie. Um, I, it's, yeah, it's, wow. it's, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, it's kind of fascinating. I, you know, I think 2006 is kind of an interesting time because we're, we're on the cusp of the internet going big, internet media going big, right? YouTube really broke in 2005, if I recall correctly. It was like around the time I first started hearing people going like, I watched something on YouTube was around that mm -hmm. time. Um, and I think it's pointing forward to this concept that, that I think Seltzer and Friedberg fully internalized, which is this idea of this kind of like immediate feedback loop, which I think is probably like the defining characteristic of, of the last... 15, 20 years and probably will be the downfall of humanity, which is basically that we're just like in this immediate feedback loop to say everyone does everything publicly and everyone comments on it in real time immediately. And we're just all caught up in the drama of that and nothing happens and there's no time to do anything properly because we're just we're all immediately in the middle of doing everything or commenting on someone else doing everything at all the time. And it just feels like this this kind of thing, like, Date Movie feels like the movie that was filling in what YouTube would become. It's the immediate thing of like, hey, you remember this? Here's the silly version. Um, you know, and but it's like this, like, it's still a movie they had to make and go through production process for. So it's going to be a couple of months, even a year out from some of this stuff. Several decades out from some of them because this movie is absolutely chaotic in terms of what the fuck they're doing. I mean, like, yeah, we're we're just like, okay, yeah, we're gonna reference Pimp My Ride and When Harry Met Sally because that's just a you, why yeah. not? Who cares? Yeah, it compresses culture. It's it's, it's insane. The yeah, fucking thing. So uh, as a, another just really good example, we mentioned earlier that in Hell's a Pop and there is a Citizen Kane joke. There's a little rosebud gag and it's 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 smart. It's a little wink. It's fine. It has its moments. It's not one of the best jokes in the movie, but it's there and it's memorable. And holy shit, certainly everyone fucking remembers Citizen Kane. Whereas when you're watching date movie, 
it treats every moment of culture from like 2005 through 2006 or whatever, and even further back into the past as on the exact same plane. It just squishes everything down. So yeah, you've got, um, you've got crumping, you've got Kevin Federline, you've got uh, fucking Pimp My Ride, you've got the movie Hitch, and all of these uh, things wedding all planner, at once. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Carl's uh, Jr. commercials. Sally. <laughs> yeah. And they're and they're all they're all placed on the same just level. There's there's no there's no different value assigned to these things. So luckily, I mean, I was I was like 19 when this movie came out. So I fucking get it. Like I get the fucking yeah. references. And that's fine. But then I think, my God. What if I didn't get it, right? Because there, certainly there's there's <laughs> things in older movies of this ilk, like you know, even an airplane, where there's a couple things that I'm sure the the depth of the reference goes over my head, but it's still a funny joke. Whereas this, I don't even know. Like, let's pretend you're 19 now. It's 2023. You're 19 years old. You're watching date movie because you fucking hate yourself. And there's this part where Fat Allison Hannigan is taken to an auto body shop where a bunch of men bolt her down to a table, <laughs> drill an LCD screen into her stomach so that she can play PlayStation with the little guy from Bad Santa, which is another movie you haven't seen because you're 19. And at that point, like, what are you even fucking watching? Like, this has got to be like brain scrambling <laughs> if you don't understand, because I, it's not a joke. It's it just could have a, pointing it could have a positive effect, Cuff, because I think one of the most, perhaps the most memorable segment for me was because it was so brain scrambling, because I had zero idea mm -hmm. what it could possibly be trying to do, which is the Kill Bill segment, uh, because it keeps cutting away to this same fucking clip of like the Carl's Jr. commercial, like over and over and over again. And I, I was like, is this a fucking joke? Like, what the fuck is happening? Like, how, how is this allowed to be in a movie? And I don't know, maybe if you're just like divorced of references, some things work on a completely different, more surreal It happens. <laughs> for, for me, it, it, I had that experience in the middle of this. Most of it, yeah, I could kind of track, but the, the shitting cash... The extended sequence of a cat using a toilet and having diarrhea. And I think whatever money <laughs> Alison Hannigan and a few other like Fred Willard and a few other like name, like notable people took for just to show up in this thing. I think the rest of the money went into that puppet cat because he pops up everywhere in the movie once yeah. once he introduces it. looks him. good. But yeah, he's, he's, there's a scene. It's just she opens. She's like, oh, I need to go to the bathroom. And she opens the door and there's just it goes for like three minutes of just a cat violently shitting. And we're just sitting there transfixed by it. And I thought it was really funny because I had no idea why it was happening. <laughs> I just, I knew, like, what the hell is happening? And then later on, I learned that I guess in Meet the Fockers, there's a toilet trained cat. And that would be the reference point. I've never seen Meet the Fockers. I think I'm it, probably might even, gonna I think watch it might even show up in the one that I have seen, which is, is the Meet the Parents. We could, yeah, one, one of the, and it would make sense because it's in a scene, a larger scene where indeed Alison Hannigan's character is meeting her, her boyfriend's parents. So, you know, it makes sense in that level. But I mean, if you haven't seen the movie, it's just a nonsensical long scene of a puppet cat violently shitting. <laughs> and and, and that's all better, it probably. is. It probably yeah, does work really the alternative, which is as Jack is describing this movie as 
remember this, here's the silly version, but when you're making remember this, here's the silly version about an inherently silly movie, like Meet the Parents, a, a great stretch of this movie is just scenes from Meet the Parents, like not changed at <laughs> fucking all. Yeah, it's it's yeah. really, really classic stuff. I mean, an underpinning it all is just, I, I feel like the thing that, separates this from like better spoofs first off i think obviously there's there's a question of craft it just feels very lazy and slapdash but i think underpinning even that is the fact that i just feel like seltzer and freeberg don't have any connection to the material at all in a way that like Mm -hmm. airplane doesn't work without the the makers having that relationship with the original material of that original airport movie they saw and thought was absolutely ridiculous and realized it would make a great comedy, you know? And it kind of brought in that kind of like element to it, you know, but like there was a clear there's a clear kind of like a a feeling of warmth towards the material. I think spoofs generally tend to prosper better when the people making them have some degree of affection for what they're doing or some degree of knowledge for it. Like, I'm going to get you sucker has like the Wayans clearly grew up on these movies. Like there's, there's some kind of clear link in them. So even when the jokes don't exactly land, you can sense this connection. Seltzer and Friedberg, it just seems like, like they're just uh, basically like just a soundbite factory. Like they're just grabbing for mm-hmm. anything near, nearby. And I think they just, they, they figure it's all, they treat it all with just, total scorn which is really funny because they're making movies in turn that everyone hates yeah like i've never i don't know anyone who who likes one of these movies you know and <laughs> so yeah weird fa- weird turnaround on that it's just such a strange choice to be like all right we're making a spoof movie what should we use as like the basis you know what is it going to be our foundation what movies are we going to be playing off of and to choose comedies you you can't make a spoof of a comedy. It's already a fucking comedy. Like that, it, it's not yeah. the way to go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, half the jokes are just like more. Like they do when Harry met Sally, and uh, where where Meg Ryan fakes an orgasm, and they just do that scene. Except it's the man doing it, and it's just more. And it's gonna okay. Like you could do that, but it's not very funny it's not anything no. really again i guess unless you've yeah. never seen when harry met sally in which case it's a really weird thing to have in a movie yeah there's no introduction or <laughs> yeah. anything it's just like cut to a guy moaning and you're like okay there was one or two of uh, those another... where there's like this thing where they're in therapy like couples therapy or something and i was like well i haven't seen this but i have no fucking idea what this is referencing so you got me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well and then there's other things too where just to build off the whatever more thing, like the very opening scene, which is Allison Hannigan in a fat suit, and she's like going to, she's walking down the aisle for her own wedding, and the groom turns around, and oh no, it's Napoleon Dynamite <sighs> doing an extra Napoleon Dynamite yeah. version of Napoleon Dynamite. And you're like, oh fuck, like that's that's it. It's, and it just is. It's, it's pointing at something and saying, now a little bit louder. There's and there's a great scene um, where she goes to Hitch, the, the Hitch love doctor guy, and he points out all the celebrity relationships that he's set up, and has anything aged more poorly in a film? Because half the, the dream couples he's citing have since broken up, and it's just, yeah. it's just one of those inclusions to a film that feels absolutely like they didn't even consider the concept of anyone watching this film 
later. Like, it literally, almost like kind of, you know, I, I guess it's probably went to theaters. I have no idea. Oh, yeah, um, I, sure. certainly, yeah, I would, but I imagine so. But like the concept of like a film that really has no longevity built into it at all, which is kind of what brings me back to this idea of, you know, almost like a YouTube, like immediate feedback. It's kind of like, it's part of this like immediate conversation and like date movie is what they did now. And then they do another movie later and they do another one later. And even though they switch genre and switch reference, it's like the, the idea is kind of like these things are inherently disposable. It just makes, they make no sense outside of you being in the audience the day it's released pretty much. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I, they don't care. It just, it is gibberish. It doesn't make any even fucking that, sense. I, I don't think they have a good barometer for, you know, what is a, a, a cultural reference that will resonate, whether it's of the moment or something like a, when Harry met Sally, where it's like, okay, everybody gets it or whatever. I, I keep coming back to, there's this part kind of towards the end of the movie where she, she, Alison Hannigan goes to see uh, the little hitch man. And all of a sudden she's like, well, what if I did this? And then she's like in clown makeup and she's fucking dancing. And so now what that moment would, would need you to, to like know in order to understand the reference and presumably laugh harder at the idea of Alison Hannigan crumping is you would have to be familiar with the 2005 moderately successful independent documentary Rise directed by David LaChapelle about uh, like dancers in a dance subculture in Los Angeles that do this thing called crumping. And then you're supposed to know that. And then you're supposed to, I guess, seen that movie and then thought that it was funny that Alison Hannigan was doing the dance that the that black people were doing in that movie. And that's, that's the, the reference that you're supposed to know. How the fuck would you know? I mean, this isn't even <laughs> like, it wasn't even like fucking nominated for an Oscar. Like, it was just like a movie that came out. I fucking saw it, but only because I saw everything at that time. And it was like, oh, it had enough distribution as a documentary to get into blockbuster fucking videos. So I rented it probably. But really, like, how, how, how is, you how do is wonder- that? You do wonder, do they have some people who ran, like being a studio production, you do wonder, are there people who like ran the numbers on like references and you kind of figure mm-hmm. like, that's viable, that's not viable. But I mean, it's like the, the references stood out to me above all else as like both being utterly lost to time in a sense, but also really encapsulating the era is when they inexplicably reference bum fights. Which is like bum <laughs> fights was a thing in the early two thousands. It's one of yeah, my two biggest Proto laughs YouTube. in the film, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> right. it's, but it's it's unhinged. But it also like two things for me. First off, okay, so like bum fights for anyone younger listeners who don't remember bum fights was literally Different this time. absolute just piece of shit dude who realized he could film, he could give homeless people money to fight each other. And he could film it, and then other psychos would purchase it for entertainment. And it became like a little cottage industry thing, like built on just the absolute most like lowest depth cesspool of, of humanity. And it was a whole yeah. thing, and he was like he was on Dr. Phil and he shaved his head to look like Dr. Phil, which is the only funny thing the man's ever done, and he pissed off Dr. Phil because he didn't take TV seriously, which you know. Which is always the thing, you know, it's like, you know, you show up on a TV show, you should take Oprah or Dr. Phil seriously, even though they're not serious people within the context of daytime TV, because it's 
not a serious thing. So you can just act like an asshole because you don't care. And I feel like that was, again, like a, maybe part of this larger movement of the internet and the rise of the internet and the rise of this new subculture where you could actually be pretty successful while giving the middle finger to every establishment figure because the internet at this point was completely unregulated and insane. But anyhow, it's it's there and it's lost to the depths of time. I mean, for anyone watching this now, if you didn't weren't around in the mid-2000s and know about bum fights, it's literally just Alison Hannigan beating the shit out of a homeless person unprompted in the middle of a scene. Um, but it also, you know, in that context, I think captures this veneer of cruelty that characterized comedy in the late 90s and early 2000s. The film also opens with Alison Hannigan in a fat suit as this like the most grotesque thing imaginable. Imagine if a woman was fat, which was a joke that carried many very, very popular sitcoms through the, the 90s. I mean, Friends, it would seem like it was just an enormous concept. It's like, imagine if people were fat. Like, would, would, how crazy would that be? Imagine if hot Yo, people... Or, or it could be like Shallow Hal, where, right. like, imagine if you thought skinny people were fat and you thought fat people were skinny. Yeah. You know? right. like, which, was, which was legitimately <laughs> the thinking man's version of this terrible thing, rather than just, like, <laughs> don't even think about it. It's terrible. Don't lower yourself to it. It's like, but what if we did, but in a smart way? And it's like, no, no, don't do it. But anyhow, the bomb fight sequence. Absolutely, I was just like... What, who is this for? Like, what the fuck is it? Because what's even the joke in it other than I know what bum fights is? Like, that's <laughs> yeah. That's and, and the same joke. thing with the crumping. It's like I know what crumping is. So it's like you either you either recognize the thing and you go, "That's the thing," and so I laughed, or you just think that like because it's Allison Hannigan doing it, Halligan Hannigan doing it, that it's funny because it's her. Yeah, so it's uh, well, like regular bum bum fights fun. Al Allison Hannigan bum fight funny. Maybe I'll give I, I this know. a little bit more uh, credit on on this specific joke, just because it does kind of break. Like it's this very flowery, uh, you know, stereotypical rom com like dialogue. You know, like this first date thing. Like, oh, I want to raise my hands into the air and shout, "I love you," and and then it just cuts into this bum fight thing, and it's kind of like it breaks. It's such an absurd break in tone that it, it kind of works as like a traditional sort of joke. But yeah, it's also completely dated and uh, it, it references bum fights. So I don't know. <laughs> I just I just want to go on record, by the way. I watched this movie. This movie is available to stream for free on Plex right now if you, if you want to watch it. Um, possibly internationally, certainly in the US. I don't know. I just want to note that my biggest laugh from the entire movie came in one of the ad breaks in this movie where they had an ad for some kind of uh, Asian food bank or something. I wasn't really paying attention to that. But one of the people talking was a little a little woman, just like a regular petite kind of woman. But her name appeared on the screen and her name is uh, Tiny Baby. Tiny spelled T-I-N-I. <laughs> but that was her name. That's her That's legit funny. name. That's her, And that was the biggest laugh of date movie was in the ad break that Plex stuck in there. Also, it's worth noting yeah. if you watch on Plex, Plex puts ad breaks in the middle of sentences, which is really disconcerting. And also, when I watched it on Plex, every time the ad break ended, the movie started over from scratch, and I had to fast forward back to where I'd left off. So, uh, awesome. which is 
rough when you're talking about day movie. Yeah. The movie, this movie is, it's, uh, what, it's like 85 minutes long and 11 minutes of that are the end credits. So it's not a long movie, but yeah. when you were fast forwarding back through it, you're like, maybe we're 50 minutes in and then you find out you're only 35 and you're like, fuck, God damn it. Doesn't feel good. Yeah, it's yeah. rough. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. My favorite jokes are also ad break re related for one, which is uh, I, I got served the same ad for fabric softener like three different times. And their fabric softener ads starring Allison Hannigan. So it was this weird. Uh, like, it would interrupt her in the middle of a sentence to play me an ad starring her telling me to like make my towels better. Or why, why is That's it you fun. were getting, you're getting that. And like Plex is like, you need to give food to starving people in Indonesia. Like, what am I? Because Plex knows that I'm a good person already. They're trying to help you. That's the oh, I was going to say, be. Plex knows that Cuff lives in Milwaukee, so isn't as wealthy as you to give money away to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's fucking cosmopolitan, man. Uh -huh. uh, the other thing I liked, and, and it was, this stuff is all just like, classic shit and and it's not tied to references or anything like that uh but there's about ten thousand different annoying needle drops in this movie and during one of the earliest needle drops allison hannigan is like i don't know dancing around in the streets trying to get random men to fuck her and at one point a guy just takes a nail gun puts it up to his head and just fucking kills himself and that's that's funny that's a good milk shake, another time milkshake classic Oh yeah, yeah. Is is that Bill Murray's new girlfriend? Uh, how yeah, will Bill that Murray's age girlfriend. as a reference? Do we think? <laughs> like, because if if you were what? Seltzer or Friedberg, you'd be putting that in as a joke right now into a movie. Right now, and two yeah. months from now, people be like, "Sorry, what are you talking about?" Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, during that sequence, it's like that happens, and then she tries to like sexually entice some firefighters. You just blast her with a hose, and it's always funny. Like. Anytime someone gets shot with a nail gun or blasted with a hose, like that's always hilarious. Yeah, like, it's weird. Like this movie understands like the timing and physicality of slapstick at certain moments. And you're like, why don't they just make that? Because it's pretty funny. But now they must yeah, reject the, it at all the jokes, opportunities. Yeah, the jokes otherwise, because I mean, the majority of this is basically like, hey, do you recognize this? Like, that's the majority of the jokes, and they cut to whatever. Like, the actual jokes in it, otherwise, we say, we point out, like, Steve says, there's some slapstick. Slapstick works. Slapstick is always funny. It is funny to watch people fall over. Always will be. Yeah. Um, but the rest of the jokes are just, like, nonsense. Like, they're not jokes. Like, one of the big jokes early on is Alison Hannigan's family are introduced, and uh, it turns out she's, her dad is Greek, but he's it's Eddie Griffith. It's just, like, her, you know... It's she's an African American. His mom is in her mom is Indian, uh, and then for some reason they're also they're Jewish, uh, and that's just thrown in on top. So they're like Greek, Jewish, African American, whatever. It, it's not really a joke. It's just a thing. Like I mean, I know they're trying like they're trying to comment on in a broader sense the idea of like the specific you know cultural specificity specificities that date movies or romance movies try to shoehorn in to like kind of create inbuilt audiences but the movie itself is so lazy about it it's just like oh what if your greek dad was played by a not greek person wouldn't that be hilarious it's like not really and it's just for one line of dialogue nothing else happens the best i don't greek know maybe this movie is it's ready for a, a big reassessment and, and reclamation because you know who doesn't like jennifer coolidge just playing Barbara Streisand in a movie. God, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that part works pretty well because Jennifer Coolidge is just funny. 
Like Fred Willard also, just funny mm-hmm. guy. They they kind of do the lifting on it. Everyone else is kind of just high and dry. The one thing I will say on the Greek side of things, the one thing that's actually funny is, and it's not commented on, in the Greek restaurant, there is a Medusa gumball machine that I, I actually thought was pretty cool. I would kind of like one of those. But just, you know, that's in the background. That, for all I know, was honestly like, like a prop guy could have done that as a gag. I don't even know if the rest of them even knew it was going to happen. Just seemed like a thing to do when you have to make stuff for a Greek place. You know, it, but like the the actual jokes in this that are like, oh, they're, they're not funny. They're not even jokes. And it kind of point, it seems to pave the way forward to uh, Hollywood comedies. There no, There's no jokes anymore. It's just kind of like a point in place. Like, you know who this is. You know what we're doing. It's kind of like, there's no... You know, Hell's popping his jokes. It's got great jokes yeah, in it. Yeah. There's a great line in it somewhere where he's like, she needs, uh, like, I don't think there's a, there's a line in Hell's popping. It's like she she needs someone who's taller than her mentally, you know. And it's just like one of those great throwaway lines about you know needing to find a better guy to hang out with. It's just you know they're there. That move that joke was written eighty years ago. It's still funny in the context. You, <laughs> what? Why don't we do that anymore? I don't think all the jokes have been written. You know? Yeah, uh, really the only way they can milk laughs out of a date movie is like, casting Judah Friedlander. (laughs) It's like, well, I guess I chuckled because he was the person that they were like pushing her to marry, and it was like, look, Judah Friedlander looks like a schlub. I'm like, ha 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 ha. He's a schlub who's also Greek, Jewish, Indian, because he said he was. Isn't Yeah, you know, uh, hilarious. Yeah, I I don't know. it's, It's pretty grim. Again, the only stuff that works is slapstick. I, I, I will admit I laugh pretty hard at the uh, Meet the Parents segment where they like knock the urn over, as again, is, is just a scene from Meet the Parents. But instead of it being ashes, it's just like a giant mummified corpse. But uh, it, it, again, it, it ruins any goodwill. It, it comes up with something like that where you're like, oh, that's so absurd that, that I'm laughing. And then it, like, extends that into, like, some fucking five-minute scene of, like, the cat humping said corpse. And you're like, boy, if it had just been that one gag, <laughs> and we could move the fuck on. The hell's a poppin' has already taught us that lesson. You know, you, you just keep rattling off the good gags. And you keep moving. You don't just stand on some fucking thing that half worked for ten minutes. I guess that's the problem. If you, if you want to rattle off good gags, you need a lot of gags. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's... That's a right. You need good writers. Uh, they don't have them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's an understatement of the century. Well, we should probably wrap this up. So if you're wondering what the, the big takeaway from this episode is, is uh, one, if you give us something wonderful, we will find a way to uh, dip it in shit. And <laughs> also... Watch Hell's a Poppin'. It's, you can actually watch it for free on YouTube right now. It's just there. Yep. Go yep. fucking watch it. Uh, date movie, you can find it on Plex, but you don't have to. You could forget I ever did. <laughs> well, here's a hot so tip. If you watch, if you watch Plex on your uh, browser with Adblock enabled, uh, Plex seems to be the only uh, streaming service that hasn't circumvented that in some way, because I just didn't get any ad breaks. <laughs> which means wow. the movie goes by mercifully quicker, yeah, which right. is something, certainly. Yeah. But you don't, you don't get a moment to breathe, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking forward to the fabric softener commercials. <laughs> Anyways, uh, hey, Jack, what are you putting over this week? Uh, I'm going to put over a Hong Kong movie I watched the other day called Intruder from 1997. 
directed by Chen mm. Kanchung, and uh, who's best known as a writer. He writes all like Stephen Chow comedies. He's really well known for that. So it's kind of weird that this one movie he made as a director is this incredibly grim home intruder uh, thriller. Uh, it's I think it's really early from Johnny Toe and Waikai Fai's um, Milky Way Image production company. I think it was like maybe the second movie they ever made. So Johnny Toe and Waikai Fai are producers, but they didn't write or direct it. And it's 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 a grim film about basically a woman from mainland China who's a wanted criminal coming over to Hong Kong and basically marking people out, particularly one guy who she breaks into his house and imprisons him because she basically needs to steal his identity. So it's wild because this is a movie about mainland Chinese criminals coming to Hong Kong to steal Hong Kong people's identities, and it was released in 1997, the year Hong Kong was handed back to mainland China, which frankly makes the film feel like a provocation. Uh, it's it's ballsy that Toe and Co uh, decided they would just put this one out, and it was released after the handover. But yeah, Intruder in 1997, M. Where can you see it? Check my Twitter, because I don't think you'll find it anywhere else. Um, yes, nice. but, but well worth it. Really good. Just it's grim. Don't you know? Probably not a date movie. Actually, it's a better date movie than date movie, but they all are. Uh, so yeah, check it out. It's good. Myers, what are you putting over? This well, week? first, a quick important update. Apparently, that uh, that therapy scene that stumped me is a reference to 2005's Mister and Mrs. Smith. A film I have never seen. Oh. So, uh, but he loves that. Yeah, movie. That, a timeless one. I could see why you would put it in your uh, your comedy. You know, everyone's going to get the reference <laughs> forever and ever. Uh, anyhow, oh, I, as per usual, have watched nothing. So I I thought I would hand my recommendation over to my father. Uh, I I went to the uh, Untamed North to uh, visit my my father this weekend, and uh, he surprised me by asking me, "Did you watch Eurovision?" And I said, "What?" No, I, I didn't watch Eurovision, Dad. You watch Eurovision? Uh, turns out he wasn't even aware that Eurovision was a it was a actual thing, and he was in fact referring to Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga, uh, the the recent uh, Will Ferrell <laughs> film, uh, which he gave his highest recommendation <laughs> of. Of it's quite stupid, but uh, yeah, I liked it. So uh, you know, he's right. <laughs> it's pretty. It's not bad actually. But yeah. I. I Go to bat for it too if you've got nothing else that's to do. That's a fucking amazing dad move. Oh my god, that's that's classic dad. That Father's Day weekend. That's that's exactly. beautiful. That's beautiful. Uh well, I guess you know for for this week I'm gonna put over uh, a book. A book. I occasionally. Well, you can't do that. Uh, that's not allowed, Steve. What the fuck? I know. I've done this like multiple time, uh, multiple times. So are you guys are you familiar with uh, Luke O'Neill? He writes. Uh, hell world welcome to hell world not no, familiar, no. Not familiar you got me. so if you don't know who luke o'neill is he puts out this uh this free email newsletter thing so think Substack, but you don't have to pay and the person writing it's not a fucking moron and uh, it's it's really funny it's very dark and cynical and it's basically like hey look the world around you is is burning to the ground isn't that fucking hilarious and he just put out uh his first book of fiction and it's called a creature wanting form a bunch of short stories. It's good. Uh, I just got it. And yeah, big thumbs up. So uh, Creature Wanting Form, Luke O'Neill, Welcome to Hell World. Check out all these things. I can't believe this is how fucking old I am. I'm like, hey, kids, why don't you sign up for an email newsletter <laughs> the year of our fucking Lord, 2023? But I swear to God, he's funny. 
So yeah, something you can do there. Now, in addition to signing up for email newsletters, what should you do now that this episode is wrapping up? Well, you should click the description to this podcast where you will find a link to our Patreon where you can give us money. Yes, you, dear listener. And what do you get for that money? Well, if you donate at any level, first of all, I'm going to send you a movie from my personal collection. Could be anything. Could be a VHS tape. Uh, could be a, a salacious home movie that I stole from Adam Myros's personal collection. We don't know. It's impossible to say, but it, it's going to be yours. In addition to that, you get access to our entire special Patreon feed, which has uh, special patron-only episodes, as well as a bunch of old uh, written and recorded content for you to uh, consume, like the loving Optimism vaccine fan that you are. Uh, on top of that, if you donate at a higher level, you know, we, we start low, but if you get up to $5, starting at $5, you get your name read out on the air. Very exciting. And you also get to vote in polls that will uh, dictate future episodes. So you can you can have a say in what we do. And Myros, who are our five and above patrons right now? Uh, we have CWW, Evan, Ryan, Dustin, and Paula. And, and just as an addendum, uh, we, we have a bonus episode uh, that uh, I guess we just haven't posted it yet, but uh, keep an eye out for that this week. Uh, <laughs> we, 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 did, uh, we did record Good another job, bonus us. episode. It's coming your way. Uh, you get some Billy Blanks in your life, but uh, I don't know. Apparently, oh, we sure. forgot to post it, and uh, it's recorded and ready to go, so keep an eye out. <laughs> Good. I got I to gotta fucking lay off the booze, man. I swear to God, I thought we posted it. We I recorded am, that weeks ago. I am not in charge of posting things. Just putting that oh, out there yeah, yeah jack well we could yeah. give you some responsibility how would you like that <laughs> it's enough to show up here every week i i can't be held responsible for anything like clearly i've like yeah, rotted I, my I, brain i, out, I will so. take uh, 50 responsibility steve and i are equally culpable for not giving you this episode but uh <laughs> i'm less gold i'm stupider so that's yeah that's your fault uh, yeah, so uh, on top of that, if, if you want to dictate an entire episode, or if you have, like, actual good ideas, and you do this, and then we're like, fuck, let's just do two episodes, because they're both good ideas, you can give us $25, and for $25, not only do you get everything that I've outlined before, but you get to, you know, tell us what to do for an episode, that's how we got Hell's a Poppin', so... Uh, yeah, it's fucking cool, and you know what, if, if you want to donate $25 one time, that's great, um, if, if you want to constantly donate $25 to us, that is amazing because podcasting is expensive. We got to pay for hosting and all this bullshit. Uh, so yeah, whatever you want to do and you, you know, you can always drop down to a different level. We love you no matter what, but, uh, yeah, give us $25. You can pick an episode. You could be the next hell's a poppin'. Think of it that way. Wow. Or, you know, maybe we'll, maybe you'll find something to pair with Epic movie or meet the Spartans. I know Myros has been really Jones to watch meet the Spartans. I'm I'm pretty sure we just watched the same movie with a different title, you know. I get the gist. <laughs> I like the I just like picturing your face just contorting with disgust if someone paid us twenty five dollars and was like, You gotta watch three hundred and meet the Spartans. Oh god. I I'm, think I'm just thinking like this we, <laughs> I mean we did we did we did our, our you know, could could the nineties babe series incorporate Carmen Electra? Barely, and she's more early two thousands, but she was in all of them. We could just we could just spin it that yeah, way. Yeah, she had such a tremendously yeah, important role in Date Movie, where she showed up at the end for one minute while King Kong ripped her clothes off. 
Yes, <laughs> well, here's what I don't understand about Carmen Electra. This is a minor aside, but if you read her IMDb profile, it makes it sound like she is first and foremost a musician and that Prince was a huge fan of hers. Which is not what, what I... Why is she a musician? What, you date Dave Navarro and you're a musician Apparently, all of a sudden? What's it, the way it's phrased, it sounds like she was just... Go, I'm pretty sure she was a dancer <laughs> and that she was no, like discovered at a dance thing, but the way it's phrased in IMDb, it makes it sound like she like was discovered singing and Prince funded her first album. Does she have an album? I have, I no, have idea. no idea. It's yeah. bewildering. If Prince Ronda but anyway, learning due to her musical acumen. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is possible. But I'm just saying, this is something I learned I, while I was watching date movie because any other alternatives was was worth a look. So here I am mm-hmm. on the Carmen Electra IMDb profile page. So educational. Mm. That's wonderful, Jack. Uh, well, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, if you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, optimismvaccine at gmail.com, or you can tweet at us at optimismvaccine, and uh, we will be back soon, probably next week, probably the exact same day. 